0: learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to welcome back one of my closest friends and someone I'm sure you appreciate too, and who you've missed and I've missed very much, and that is Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us?
1: I am. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. And today, Peter has... A presentation for you entitled The Real Story of Agricultural Suicide Leading to National Suicide. So Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this?
1: Andrew, I'm sure we're all quite uh, amazed and impressed by the resistance going on in the Netherlands right now. And uh, I don't know how many people realise that the Netherlands is the largest exporter of meat in Europe. And they the second largest exporter of food overall after the United States. I think that's extraordinary considering the Netherlands is half the size of the state of Indiana. It's not one of the biggest countries in Europe by a long shot. And a lot of it's reclaimed land at that. But food exports from the Netherlands generated over 94 billion euros or over 100 billion dollars just in one year. So... Uh, extraordinary, they've got 54,000 agricultural businesses in Netherlands, and they right now are protesting. They're blocking roads, they are protesting at Parliament, uh, tractors are moving out, they've been spraying manure on the Parliament, uh, all sorts of things. And what got them so angry? Well, a World Economic Forum young global leader, Prime Minister, who is championed by none other than Klaus Schwab himself of the World Economic Forum, um uh, the Prime Minister of Netherlands, Rutter, is demanding that half the farms in Netherlands close down, half, and that they uh, wipe out more than 40% of all their cattle, uh, kill them. Some farmers are expected to kill 95% of the cattle or more and and give up farms that have been in the family for centuries and generations. And why they told, well, their cattle produce emissions and they've got too much nitrogen in the soil. Well, as it so happens, the Netherlands has reduced nitrogen in the soil faster and more than any other farming sector in the world. And they're being unfairly targeted as polluters when other industries like aviation, construction, transport are contributing to emissions and facing far less far-reaching rules. In fact, in many cases, being ignored. And the Dutch farmers are very ecology concern, very advanced in technological advances. But the Netherlands being the second largest food exporter in the world, which is remarkable. I never knew that until this whole crisis came out. Uh, but they expected to curtail half of all the farming in the Netherlands and to kill more than 40% of all the cattle. And you can imagine many of the farmers, they'd be put out of business, they'd be destroyed. And the prime minister of the Netherlands has said, when asked, what are you going to do with all that farmland, said, well, we need the territory to build more low-cost housing for immigrants. (laughs) Really, for Muslim migrants coming into the Netherlands, we're going to destroy the agriculture of the Netherlands and destroy a major food producer. Now, this is just part of a big picture. And so, Andrew, as I've looked at this, I've understood there's a massive attack, a war on farmers. What we're seeing right now is, without a doubt, a a move towards national suicide through killing farmers and killing cattle and and chickens and turkeys. I mean, all over the world you're seeing World Economic Forum guidelines going to try and reduce farming, which, of course, will lead to famine. And uh, this leads me to want to give a very interesting historical insight as to what happens with that. Uh, But um, before I I race on to that, just... Uh, to mention a few interesting things like, I'm sure everyone has heard about the Georgia Guidestones by now, and the Georgia Guidestones, well, <laughs> um, uh, they've actually got on their whole uh, Georgia Guidestones the goal of population reduction. And uh, it's it's quite interesting. Uh, on the Georgia Guidestones, which are a sort of, you could say, Stonehenge for America, and the Guidestones for the future, And on them, they've got a whole lot of guidance, including number one, it's like 10 commands for the Antichrist, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Now, that means we've got about 8 billion surplus people in the world who need to be eradicated. So bringing the world to under half a billion, when we've got well over 8 billion people in the world, it suggests a massive population reduction. How are you going to reduce the world's population so greatly? They're speaking about guiding reproduction wisely, uh, which means basically abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, bringing um, uh, it way down that very few people will be allowed to reproduce and so on. Um, having uniting humanity with a living language, which is like Newspeak, the uh, 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 thought control, thought police of, of Newspeak of George Orwell's 1904, to rule passion, faith, and tradition, all things with tempered reason. Well, who decides what's reasonable? They do. Protecting people, nations with fair courts and just just laws and fair courts. Well, what they mean is a United Nations world court, uh, which overrule your local courts. And also their sixth command is to get a world court where everything local gets gets overruled. Number seven, they want to get rid of decentralization and local Uh, officials and basically of everything uh, global, and uh, it's a globalist agenda. One world government, one world economic system, one world interfaith religion, because it's speaking about everything, including a faith, being being, uh, controlled by the world. And uh, what they are speaking about here is basically population reduction, uh, transforming language, weaponizing language, uh, globalizing things, getting rid of checks and balances and uh, internal... Uh, controls and replace it all with a globalist one-world government, one-world economic system, and one-world interfaith religion, which all seems awfully reminiscent of Revelation 13. So interesting that on the 6th of July, the Georgia Guidestones suddenly uh, were damaged in what seemed to be an explosion. And uh, I've seen a video of it, and it's quite intriguing because you can see uh, from the closed-circuit TV cameras uh, covering the area, on the morning of the 6th of July uh, 2022, uh, it was uh, in the dark, uh, suddenly there was this massive light uh, flaring and you could see even the street lights in the area that suddenly flared uh, as though it was a lightning strike. Because while I said that it was a bombing, if it was a bombing, why would the officials have been demolishing the evidence of what was the scene of a crime of domestic terrorism If there's a bombing, why did they bulldoze everything down and remove all the evidence before any forensics could be done? Shades of the Oklahoma bombing uh, when in 1995 suddenly the evidence was being destroyed before forensics could be done, which is awfully suspicious. So one doesn't know if this was an act of God uh, with a lightning strike. It seems possible to me. But we do know that uh, evidence of whatever happened was quickly cleared up and removed, which indicates that the people responsible for the monument wanted it removed because maybe it's getting a bit embarrassing or maybe just the attention drawn by the lightning strike or bombing if it was that. But I don't believe it could have been a bombing uh, because if it was a bombing by an outside influence, they would have wanted to go after the perpetrators instead of destroying the evidence. So it looks like there's a cover up going on there. But the Georgia Guidestones clearly said they want to have massive population reduction. Now, What we've got now is all over the world, massive amounts of government legislation, which is basically an orchestrated attack on the global food supply chain. And uh, there's there's this ridiculous story that we suddenly heard from southwest Kansas that 3,000 cattle just killed over and died simultaneously. And the local farmer said, I doubt it very seriously that so many could drop dead all at the same time. In any heat-related incident, they wouldn't all drop dead, not at the same time. You might see a few dead at a time scattered across the herd, but not so many deaths all at once. That's just not possible. And uh, yet there's pictures of over 3,000 cattle just killed over, literally um, stiff, uh, lying there with their feet up, um, all died simultaneously. Now, why is there so much cattle killing? But it's more than that. There are governments ordering that all the chickens, millions of chickens, millions of turkeys be killed. Uh, And they've got a bizarre way of determining uh, if you have bird flu. For example, suddenly uh, the U.S. uh, Drug Administration demanded chicken farmers to kill off millions of chickens in 27 states, allegedly for signs of bird infection. But the H5N1 bird flu virus was exposed in 2015 as a complete hoax. And they are using, the U.S. government inspectors are using the same kind of unreliable PCR test that they used for COVID in humans. They've got a worthless test for if some chickens have got uh, bird flu. And so just in February, 25, 23 million chickens and turkeys were culled by order of the US government to contain the spread of a disease whose cause could be just the unsanitary cage confinement of mass industrial chickens. And the result was the price of eggs rose 300% since November, severe loss of chicken protein source for American consumers at a time when overall cost of living inflation is at an all-time 40-year high. Uh, Make matters worse, you've got California and Oregon declaring water emergencies amidst a multi-year drought, severely, sharply reducing irrigation water to farmers in California who produced most of the U.S. fresh vegetables and fruits. And so, no irrigation, well, that's going to destroy that whole industry. The drought has since spread to cover most agricultural land west of the Mississippi River. Most of the U.S. farmland, in other words, is affected by what they're claiming to be a water crisis, where they're severely hampering irrigation for farms. Now, the U.S. food security is under threat as never before, not since the 1930s Dust Bowl Great Depression. Um, Biden's so-called green agenda is doing everything to make the impact worse for citizens. It's like a war on U.S. food production. And he Biden's even said uh, that uh, the U.S. food shortages are going to be real. And his administration is deaf to the pleas of farmers to allow cultivation of some 4 million acres of farmland, which has been ordered to be left out of cunt- cultivation for environmental reasons. So there's 4 million acres of good farmland in America not allowed to be farmed for just some political arbitrary, regulation saying, no, you can't farm there, And the food crisis is developing all over the world, and it looks deliberate. Many people have said this is the worst food shortage since the end of the Second World War. So in the EU, which is significantly dependent on Russia, Belarus and Ukraine for feed grains, fertilizers, energy, sanctions imposed on Russia, Belarus and Ukraine, are making the um, COVID cult-induced food shortages dramatically worse. So the EU is using its green agenda as an excuse to limit state aid to farmers, and the farmers are essential for, well, people eating, just for starters, you'll have famine otherwise, and food security is understood to be a high priority. So, for example, in Switzerland, the government does everything it can to protect farmers and to subsidise when necessary so that Switzerland's always food independent, which they regard as one of the most important requirements for their strategic neutrality. But now you've got, in Germany, the new Green Party agricultural minister wanting to phase out traditional agriculture for allegedly greenhouse gas emissions, has given farmers who want to grow more food a very cold response. And what we're seeing is food producing countries, even in South America, like Argentina and Paraguay, are in the midst of severe drought. And the sanctions imposed by the West on Belarus and Russian fertilizers are threatening crops in Brazil, Argentina, and, and Paraguay because of massive bottlenecks in ocean transport. China's just announced that, owing to severe rains in 2021, this year's winter crop, the wheat crop, is going to be the worst in history. Shanghai, the world's largest container port, has been under a bizarre zero-COVID total quarantine for more than four weeks, no end in and sight, no ships allowed in and out for four weeks at the world's busiest container port. Africa is being severely impacted by the American imposed sanctions and war on Russia because food and fertilizer exports from Russia and Ukraine is essential for Africa. 35 African countries get their food from Russia and Ukraine and 22 countries in Africa import their fertilizer from mostly Russia and Ukraine. And so the U.S. imposed sanctions means that we've got, most of the countries in Africa are suddenly massively short of fertilizer and even massively short of food. Now, it, it it gets worse than that because in Rhodesia, where I grew up, Rhodesia used to export food. Well, when the United Nations World Council Churches and Commonwealth uh, imposed Mugabe's communist ZANU, PF government uh, received Rhodesia as a gift uh, from the international community, He took a country that was the breadbasket of Africa and turned the basket case. Rhodesia used to have 5,500 commercial farmers who produced vastly more food than the country needed. And so it was exporting food, feeding its neighbors. And so not only could the Rhodesian farmers, just 5,500 commercial white farmers, could feed the millions in in Rhodesia and later Zimbabwe, uh, but they provided most of the employment and most of the biggest employers in the country employed a couple of million uh, people, actually. And with their defense, it meant even more benefited. And most of the foreign exchange for the country. Well, when Mugabe invaded the farms in his de type of Soviet-style Holodomor, where he took over the farms, nationalized these 5,500 farms run by white commercial farmers. The result was not only unemployment for the millions they had employed, uh, but uh, starvation for the country. Ever since 2000, when he orchestrated the so-called land reforms in Zimbabwe, the country hasn't been able to feed itself and has needed thousands of tons of, of free food sent into the country to prevent starvation in Zimbabwe. More than half of the total population of Zimbabwe have fled the country. More than half the population lives outside the borders and there's 95% unemployment in Zimbabwe, which had the greatest inflation ever seen in the history of the world, even worse than the Weimar Republic in Yugoslavia, uh, where a $16 trillion note could not buy a half a loaf of bread by 2008. And uh, I've got a copy of $16 trillion note here, and it won't help us at all because it's worthless. And uh, that's after they're not 16 zeros off the currency. Uh, so you can see Zimbabwe is an example of what happens when you nationalize farms or you destroy the commercial farmers. The result is famine, but not just famine for Zimbabwe, famine for the countries that were receiving food from Zimbabwe. Then you take South Africa, country where I live now, my, my home country, South Africa. In 1994, when Nelson Mandela of the ANC became president of South Africa, we had 70,000 white farmers, commercial farmers, 70,000 commercial farmers, and they were feeding 100 million people. Now, considering that our population was only 28 million at that stage, that means our farmers were producing four times more food than our population needed, and we were a major exporter of food. We were. But since then, the 70,000 farmers has plummeted to much less than 30,000 because of the war on farmers, literal war on farmers, murdering farmers, terrorism, torture, and of course burning of farms and and repossessing of farms and government buying up of farms and uh, uh, nationalizing farms and uh, all of the rest as part of their broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Affirmative Action land reform, to use their terms. And... Of course, now they're talking about expropriation or compensation, which is the death knell to anyone wanting to invest in agriculture in South Africa, where farmers wonder should I even bother to plant this year, considering I may not even be able to harvest. Do I take a loan with a bank that I may not be able to pay back because I'm not able to harvest or sell the crops and and so on. So in South Africa, we've seen farming go from uh, where five, uh, where seventy thousand farmers were feeding a hundred million people, now we have four, no less than 30,000 farmers who are feeding 40 million people. Still an achievement, but the population of South Africa has more than doubled, and we now have over 60 million people in the country, which means that we're no longer able to be food self-sufficient. South Africa's gone from a food-exporting country that used to export uh, four times as much as we needed for our own uh, purposes uh, in the country... Now, we're in a situation that we've got to be a net food importer. South Africa needs to import food for tens of millions of people who cannot be fed by our own because of the war on the farmers in our country. So that's bad for our country, but it's even worse for the countries that used to receive their food from South Africa all the way up to the Congo. So when you have a war on agriculture and a war on farms, it leads to basically population reduction. It leads to economic suicide and national suicide. And uh, there is a historic dimension to this because uh, back in the 1850s in South Africa, we had what is called the cattle killing or the national suicide of the causa. So this is something that's happened historically. And as Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It is possible to be sincerely wrong. Well, the cattle-killing national suicide of the cause in 1856 in Transkai, which is now called the Eastern Cape of South Africa, was one of history's strangest socioeconomic disasters. And it's bizarrely reminiscent of what's going on right now in America, in Europe, all over the world, uh, even in in places like uh, Zimbabwe. So this bizarre episode was initiated by the niece of a witch doctor. And within 12 months, the population of Korsaland – now called Transcar, plummeted by 80%. 80% fled, I mean, even worse than what happened in Zimbabwe. Through mass hysteria, the Causa tribe convinced themselves of the need to kill their cattle, destroy their food, sow no crops for the future. It was economic suicide, and it led to mass catastrophic starvation and a basic national suicide. And I think people who are wanting to follow the World Economic Forum, Georgia Guidestones' plan of reducing emissions reducing cattle reducing chickens and and turkeys and uh, and leaving millions of hectares of of farmland uh, uncultivated you know this is economic suicide it will lead to mass famine so in april 1856 two young kosi girl's 15-year-old Nongawusa and 10-year-old Nombanda were sent to chase birds away from the cornfields near the river gara and the elder girl Nankawusi reported that while they were drinking at the water's edge, two mysterious figures materialized alongside them. And they told these girls to take a message back to the crowd that a great event was about to take place and all the people should kill all the cattle as these would no longer be needed. You won't need the cattle anymore. Once the great day came, there would be no shortages of any kind. So they must tell the people there must be no sowing, no cultivation of crops. All the stored grain must be thrown away. Once this has been carried out, the strangers told the girls that no further work must be done. When all the cattle had been killed, the Russians would come. Interesting, the Russians are somehow involved in this too. As sweeping up all the whites into the sea. Now, it was well known at that time that the British were fighting the Russians up in the Crimean War up north. So it was generally assumed in Korsaland that the Russians were black people because up north there's black people. So, so they thought the Russians were black people. And the Russians are gonna come and save them. Just like now the Russians are gonna come and destroy you and you need support to Ukrainians. So it's a slightly different story, but the Russians are in this cattle killing story as well. Uh, You know, it's it's like the Putin price hike, you know, that sort of thing. Well, the girls duly carried the message back to their troll, and at first everyone simply laughed and ridiculed them for their naivety. But the girls went back to the river the next day and received the same message. Now, Nongawusa was supported by her uncle Malakaza, who was also a witch doctor. And four days later, when Malakaza went to the river with his niece, he could not see the figures that the girl assured him were there, and he could hear their words only when Nongarusa translated them for him. But Nongarusa claimed, they said, we are the people who've come to order you to kill your cattle, to consume your corn, and not to cultivate any more. And the witch doctor, Malakaza, was instructed to take this message to the paramount chief of the cause, Sharili, and to all the other chiefs. So Malakaza adopted this vision and the message of the new people, as they call them, uh, as his life calling, and he advanced it fervently. Malakaza began by killing his own cattle, and soon his neighbours followed suit. And there was great excitement at the thought of new herds of cattle that the strange spirits had promised them would appear on that great day. So over 400,000 cattle were slaughtered in Tronska, and the vultures had never had it so good. Paramount chief, Sarili listened to Malakazi's words and was prepared to believe that Nonkabusi had really seen the strangers and he was encouraged in his own hopes of seeing the British driven away from the borders of his land and seeing the influence of the white men across the river removed from cause of life and society and Sarili particularly objected to European clothes. He said that his naked people, coated in red clay were clean compared to whites who wore clothes because clothes contaminate but nakedness is pure. That's quoting. Well, During 1855, before Nankawusi's vision, news had reached the cause of the Crimean War, and the Corsa hoped that the British would be beaten and that the Russians would come and force the whites to leave their farms so that they could loot their farms and expropriate their herds. The idea soon took root that Nankawusi's strange spirits had been Russian black men, and the Corsa believed that the Russians were actually the ghosts of Corsa warriors who had died, and therefore they must be black and the Russians were expected to come and liberate them from the whites. But they were sure that none of this could happen unless the cattle had first been slaughtered and the grain stores destroyed. So by the summer of 1856, the sayings of Malakaza were heard throughout the land and thousands of cattle were dying at the hands of their owners. The British officials across the river were aghast at these developments, but felt powerless to stop them. Missionary Charles Brownlee brought up amongst the cause who spoke Koza fluently, was prominent in visiting Kausa kraals, which is what they called their villages, to counteract Malakazi's message and influence, but most of the people would not listen to his warnings. With the paramount chief really supporting Malakazi's message, the Koza people became divided between believers in the vision and unbelievers, with a vast majority believing the vision and following the paramount chief. Well, this reminds you of what the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil will come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? That's in Jeremiah 23. Well, those were some of the pastors that... uh, the missionaries were trying to warn the people from. Well, the British representative at Port Elizabeth, John MacLean, failed to fully comprehend the dreadful significance of what the cause were doing. But he did sense there was a plot to provoke a war against British authority in South Africa. And so the British High Commissioner Sir George Grey was alerted about this disastrous development. And to prove to the unbelievers that Malakazi was telling the truth, Sirilli now went for the prophet to the Zara Riverbank where the strangers had first appeared to Nongabusi. And there he was apparently shown one of his sons who had recently died and a long dead favorite horse, as well as an acorn and beer that miraculously appeared as presents from the new people, the Russians, who of course were black. Cyrilli was impressed. And when Malakazi told him that all his cattle and goats must immediately die, Cyrilli immediately agreed. And Malakazi warned everyone present the Russians will not come nor will any of the other predictions come to pass until all the cause of cattle had been killed and all the grain supplies destroyed. So he then named places within Transcar where the Russians would appear and where the dead would rise from the ground. So really returned to his kraal, began to kill his cattle. And soon other believers uh, were doing the same and cause from throughout Transcar hurried towards Zara River in the hope of witnessing a miracle. So with the mass hysteria mounting and with the frenzied cattle killing escalating, Malakaza announced a date for the fulfillment of everyone's eager expectations. At the end of 1856, Malakaza declared the resurrection would occur at the time of the next full moon and excitement reached fever pitch as the day of the full moon approached. But in spite of the fact that hundreds of thousands of Kosa people were earnestly anticipating nothing other ordinary, occurred, no Russians appeared, nor did any cattle rise on the ground, and certainly no one was raised from dead. So chiefs really began to have doubts. Young children were going short of food, famine was beginning to affect everyone, and so he decided Malachi had better produce some of his new people in order to convince the cause of that their spectacular sacrifices were justified. So Malachi was now afraid, and he fled from his own crowd, fearing that the king might have him killed. He sent a message to the chief saying the new people had moved to a stronghold to await the day. The Russians were not impressed with the amount of cattle killed. All the cattle in Transcar must die. If the Russians were to come, they need to kill even the milk cows. So Malakaza made a fresh prediction. The Russians, and new moon would appear on the 16th of August. Visitors to the riverbank found the now frequent appearance of new people being stage managed by Malakaza and his team of marshals. Nobody was allowed to get close enough to speak to the distant shapes or hear what they said. They only spoke through Malakaza, and sometimes the prophet pointed out to sea and told the pilgrims, they were the heads of Rob- Russians bobbing amongst the water. Other times, ghostly lowing was heard of unseen cattle or bleating from invisible goats, probably beneath the surface of the of the ground. So every sound was interpreted as having a bearing on the coming of the new people. On the great day, Malachi said, two suns would rise in the heavens and collide whereupon all whites would be swept into the sea, which would divide, revealing a road down which they'd march to the place of creation at Umlanga. And there Satan would take his revenge on all the whites and all those causes who disobeyed the call to kill the cattle. Then the world would be plunged into darkness until a new sun would arise and herald a new world. An apocalyptic vision drew the causer into an orgy of even more cattle killing. The resurrection of the of dead would take place, they were told. There would be a thundering of every ox hide shield ever beaten, and this would signify the approach of many herds of fine new cattle. All this was promised. The new corn would cover the land and every human ill would be put right and the lame would walk and the blind would see and the old would become young and the young would become younger and everyone, well, nobody would have to work. Everything would be new and absent on the day would be those who died of snake bite or drowned in the sea or the river. The homes, the herds, the farms of the whites across the river would be theirs for the taking. Because the white should all be gone and be swept into the sea. And again, this reminds you of Jeremiah 23. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. And the course of life is evil, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. Therefore their ways shall be to them like slippery ways. And in the darkness they shall be driven on and fall in them. For I will bring disaster on these prophets. day of their punishment, says the Lord. I've seen their folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesy by Baal and they cause my people to err. Also, I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that nobody turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and the inhabitants are like Gomorrah. All that's in Jeremiah 23. Well, 16th of August came and passed without anything happened. And Malakazi pressed for postponement of the great day. The new people would not appear until the cunning cause who had sold their cattle to avoid killing them carried out the decree completely. And so at one stage, the rumor was spread that the armies of well-armed strangers had emerged from the sea and were lining the shores, but they could only be seen by the righteous. Apparently, there weren't too many of those around, so most people didn't see them. So Malakazi next ordered everyone to thatch their huts securely, because there would be a great storm and a tempest on the Day of Judgment. Now, the king was becoming suspicious. He is under intense pressure from his counselors who were aghast at the willingness to slaughter the nation's cattle, even their milk cows. So, once more, King Soreli visited Malakazi at the riverbank to speak to strangers. He is told by Malakazi to look at the ground, under no circumstance to look up. He would then see the shadows of the new people passing across the ground in front of him. And Soreli accepted all this deception and he is duly convinced by the shadows passing him. But reports of this meeting were so embroidered as they spread that eventually it was claimed Cerilli had seen boatloads of new people arriving at the mouth of the river, informing them they'd come to establish the freedom of all black people. So, meanwhile, frustrated at his inability to understand the self destructiveness of the cause, Sir George Grey, the governor, threatened Cerilli with severe consequences if he continued to encourage his people to kill their cattle. Gray could see that starvation in the land of the Causa across the river would have catastrophic consequences. The refugees would pour across the border to them and they'd be suddenly responsible to feed them. So Gray could not understand why the Causa were blind to their own danger. Why were they committing economic suicide? Well, as 1856 drew to a close, the skies of a trans guy in the Eastern Cape were filled with vultures, circling, diving at the cattle and human cocks as lying in almost equal quantities all over the uncultivated lands and already over 400,000 cattle had been slaughtered and at least 100,000 cause had died of starvation between the Fish River and the Kai River. Cirilli, meanwhile, showed a blind faith in the word of Malakazi, and each time Cerili, the king, met the witch doctor, Malakazi had a new excuse to explain why nothing had happened at all, the successive new moons and predictions. Well, Cirilli was so upset he tried to kill himself and his servants were forced to remove all knives and sharp objects from near the king. Malakazi reached the end of everyone's patience. He now spread the word that the new people had abandoned the cause of disgust because they had not killed all the cattle. But so desperate were the cause at this stage that even more bizarre visions were seen. Cause claimed to have seen Russian armies marching on the surface of the sea, people sailing in umbrellas and to have heard thousands of cattle beneath their feet. On the 31st of January 1857, a great assembly of more than 5,000 causa believers near the town of Butterworth from all over the land attended. King Cyrilli himself was present. There they received another message from Malakazi. Go home and kill all your milk cows that have been spared to feed the babies and the young children. And those cows would be skinned and the hides used to protect the doors from the furious lightning that would precede the arrival of the new cattle. Well, by this time, Malakazi had new touches. Once the new sun had set in the sky, and the sea would dry up, the sky would descend to just above head height. 18th of February, 1857, the revised delayed day was deemed to have finally arrived. English settler, Robert Mullins, with a group of Causa, uh, recorded this great moment. The sun rose and the sun set as usual, nothing happened. And Mullins recorded the day's events in his diary. Nothing much happened except a lot of waiting and desperate hoping on the part of the causer. A more sensitive witness, Mrs. Brownlee, the missionary, wrote, one of the saddest sights was that of an old woman, wizened with age, doubly wrinkled by starvation, decked out with brass rings, jingling on her withered arms and legs. They had kept on their ornaments, hoping against hope, till too weak to remove them. As the sun set, there was a silence across the land as of death." No children laughed, nobody played, no cattle lowed no sheep bleated, no happy herdsman laughed, and joked with his friends at the end of the day's work. And now, as if seeing the light for the first time, Cirilli pointed at Nankawuza and said, the reason we are broken today is on account of this girl. But she was not the only one to blame. Cirilli himself had succumbed to the fantasies of the charlatan, the witch doctor Malakaza, the dreamer, the schemer who had wanted to be the messenger. So the question is, was Malakaz a madman, demon-possessed, or just an inadequate human being unable to cope with life and reality? Perhaps even believed his own stories. The tragedy was so too did the majority of Causa, who had destroyed their nation. Jeremiah 23 says, the prophet who is a dream, let him tell his dream. He was my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is chaff compared to wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces? And so we read in the scripture that behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they'd stood in my counsel, if they'd caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from the evil ways and from the evil of the doings. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord? Am I not a God afar of off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places and I not see him? Says the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? I've heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I've dreamed, I have a dream. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. It's also in Jeremiah 23. So the British officials who toured trans trying to distribute food found heartbreaking sights. In some place, the people had climbed into the grain pits to see if they'd miraculously filled in their absence, but too weak to climb out against, they died in the grain pits that were empty. Emaciated women with children clinging to flattened breasts raked the hard ground for roots. Starvation drove others to boil and eat their ox shields or their leather skirts. Those who reached the soup kitchens provided by the British were no more than walking skeletons. Many died of exhaustion a short distance from safety. A missionary wrote, Famine has effaced all human likeness. Young men of 20 lost their voices and chirped like birds. Children were wrinkled and withered and grey. Men and women presented the appearance of baboons, and like baboons, scratched under stones for insects to devour. The vultures and the wild dogs devoured the dead and the half-dead causer. The survivors turned to cannibalism in their last desperate urge to live, killing and eating their own children. Malakazi died of starvation along with his niece, Nongawusi, who had had the first vision. And this reminds one of Proverbs 28, 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. And when you consider this in the light of the present, cattle killing being ordered by World Economic Forum young global leaders like Rutter in Netherlands, we need to remember the war on farmers in South Africa and Zimbabwe and the catastrophic consequences and the war on the farms under Lenin and Stalin, which led to the Holodomor, under which 11 million died in 1920s and 30s in Ukraine. And the human sacrifice where the Mayans literally ripped out beating hearts to make the sun rise the next day, and the slavery of the past and the slavery of debt slavery today of the banks and the China prison system, where a lot of our products are produced, and the infanticide of Romans throwing their babies to the wolves legally, and and the cattle killing in Transcai in the um, 1850s. This should warn us that what the World Economic Forum is is advising and what the Georgia Guidestones are advocating is nothing less than agricultural suicide, which will lead to national suicide and famine. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. Um... I'm so pleased that you chose this topic today because we talk uh, a lot not enough about prepping and certainly where I'm in the UK there are shortages but you can generally get what you want you might have to get an alternative to what you your chosen brand or what have you but you can still pretty much get what you want but most of us are going to be aware of some of the Uh, topics that Peter covered on a great deal of which I wasn't aware of as so many of that's why so many of Peter's presentations are so good because you get some things you're aware of and a lot that you're not but certainly the attacks on the food supply um, people listen to Peter around the world so they will have their own stories locally But certainly I'm seeing what's happening to America. Peter referenced all those cows suddenly dying simultaneously. It just doesn't make sense, all these food processing plants being destroyed. Now we've got the situation in Netherlands. There clearly appears to be a very harsh fall, winter, whatever you want to call it, lined up for us this year. And this is why they're destroying all the things now. We've also got the energy uh, supply shortages, etc, etc. They want us cold, and they want us hungry, and they want to roll it out this winter. So while you can still get the food, get the food. And also bear in mind that you may run low on energy. So for example, I've got tins of corned beef. They're not the greatest thing in the world. But You don't need to heat them up, you don't need to cook them Uh, You open them with the little key on the can And so essentially you can have that without any power whatsoever Get plenty of things like salt in, things to flavour your food with Um, um, Salt and pepper, you know, you might prefer to get your uh, condiments like your ketchup and things like that but some of these need to be kept in a fridge to um, so they don't sort of go off and things like that. So bear all these different things in mind. But at the same time, by all means, get things in that you, you know, would need to cook. You need to try and get a variety. But you do need to be aware that there's something very obviously going on at the moment to set us all up for only what is only a few months away. And the other thing is to watch... Australia and watch New Zealand because as I've mentioned before this is their winter they're going into now we know what's been done to us over the last few years has been a global operation and so when you see what's being done to them initially that will give you an idea of what they've got planned for you and what I fear now is that maybe the pandemic was just a pandemic. maybe it was a test run of lockdowns, of compliance, of obedience, of whether people will do this, that, and the other when they're told. And that was just a dress rehearsal for what they've got planned this year with a famine and with an energy shortage. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, certainly. I mean, there's no doubt there is a war on agriculture, there's a war on farms, there's a war on farmers, there's a war on food supply distribution. And uh, you just look how I think everything the World Economic Forum supporters are doing is is to guarantee a coming global food crisis. And of course, I've seen it locally. I've seen what happens in Africa. I've seen what happens in in uh, Zimbabwe and what's happening in South Africa. And uh, to to understand, for example, at this critical time leading up to to um, uh, spring, the U.S. government. Uh, put all kinds of pressures on, for example, CF Industries of Deerfield, Illinois, the largest American supply of nitrogen fertilizers, as well as a vital diesel engine additive, issued a press release stating that on the 8th of April uh, this year, 2022, Union Pacific informed CF Industries without advanced knowledge. It was mandating certain shippers to reduce the volume of private cars on its railroad effective immediately. Now, Union Pacific is one of only four major rail companies that together carry 80% of all American agricultural rail freight. And so the CF company CEO stated, the timing of this action by Union Pacific could not come at a worse time for farmers. Not only will fertilizer be delayed by these shipping restrictions, but additional fertilizer need to complete spring applications may be unable to reach the farmers at all. By placing this arbitrary restriction on a handful of shippers, Union Pacific is jeopardizing farmers' harvests increase increasing the cost of food for all consumers. And so uh, while uh, CF Industries was only one of 30 companies subject to the severe measure, which was indefinite, they shipped uh, to at, at key farm sites, including in Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, California. The ban affects nitrogen fertilizers um, and uh, ammonium nitrate, as well as diesel exhaust fluid, um, which is an emission control product required for diesel trucks. Now, without it, engines can't run, and it all comes from this source. And they, this CF industry is the largest producer, and in fact, in not just North America but the whole, in, uh, all over the Americas. And so, the production of all these different rules has basically brought down vast amounts of food available. And then you add to that the U.S. Renewable Fuels Act, which basically has gotten biofuels capturing something like 40% of the corn acreage. And that means by law, a whole lot of corn must be burned as fuel. <laughs> and this adds a major price inflation for food because less agriculture available for food because huge amounts of acreage, 40% of the corn acreage is now dedicated to burning as biofuel. All this is part of, of the green agenda, which is actually a guaranteeing famine. And so to mandate, significant increase in corn ethanol for fuel at a time of astronomical fertilizer prices and curtailing fertilizer shipping being blocked repeatedly by White House this is going to send corn prices through the roof. And Washington has to know this. This has to be deliberate. And so uh, American corn price is at a 10 times high and exports from Russia and Ukraine, major sources are now blocked by sanctions and war. And of course this is hurting more countries in Africa than there are in America or Europe. How can this ever possibly be accidental? You know, a certain amount, you know, you make a mistake. Well, we're all human. Everyone makes a mistake. You make the same mistake twice, you're stupid. You make the same mistake 10, 15, 20, a couple of hundred times, well, you've got an agenda. So we cannot look at this and assume that the people in government are just stupid, inefficient, corrupt, or whatever, which might be somewhat true. But but we've got to recognize that we're dealing with an agenda here, and the agenda in case we didn't read the Georgia Guidestones or in case we haven't studied the World Economic Forum, the Great Global Reset and so on, unless we don't know about the Fourth Industrial Revolution or what like, they want to radically depopulate the world. So incredible as it may sound to our listeners, understand that there are very senior people in the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and many governments around the world who actually want to bring the world's population dramatically down and are orchestrating a global famine, which will inevitably kill millions of people. I mean, this isn't just speculation. You just have to pay attention to what they're saying. This isn't a theory. This is fact. This is the published statement. We've even got President Biden saying that we are going to have food shortages and food shortages are going to be real. And you wouldn't have thought that possible. I, was growing up, I grew up where there was just farms everywhere and, so much productivity and we had more food than we needed and we were exporting vast amounts and that was normal. Today, there's very few countries that are food independent and are able to export food and it's about to get much worse with the campaign against, well, not only the sanctions against Russia and Belarus and the war in Ukraine, but uh, now we're adding all these other places like the Netherlands and farmers in America being targeted. And farmers in South Africa being targeted. It seems any country that exports food is being targeted for radical reduction. But the question must be asked, well, where are people going to get their food from when you've closed down all these farmers? Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And one thing I've been trying to look up, but I can't seem to get it. I've heard people talking about this, the amount of world leaders that have stepped down in 2022. And, you know... I. I'm just doing another search. But of course, we know that uh, Boris Johnson, obviously, in the UK, Mario Draghi over in Italy. Um, There's limits to how far anyone's going to go, whether they're good or evil. Um, And with what is on the horizon, you might have a situation where certain globalist world leaders aren't actually prepared to go that far on behalf of their own people. But if they're not, they're going to be replaced because we know that individuals don't run the nation-states today. The World Economic Forum and their henchmen and people well above them run the nation-states today. So if the puppet that's been put in won't dance to their tune, then they will go back and they will say, right, you're going, but the next person... We need to be sure that they are going to go the direction that we want to go and there's always going to be someone because they're selected from the time that they're appointed to a local council to the time they become a Member of Parliament to the time they become in the Cabinet and they become Prime Minister. They're identified at the very lowest level, a lot of these people and they're compromised, many of them. So I think that that's significant as well the uh, amount of world leaders i'm sorry i can't find um the um the, the, the different bits of pieces hang on here we are List list of resignations from government um so 2022 see what we've got um january to june prime minister of kazakhstan um prime uh I think there's uh, someone uh, from Japan as well, there's different people, I'm sorry I wasn't prepared for this, but uh, it's something that you could look up, mm. but I've heard other people talking about it. Have you got any information you've heard on it, Peter? It's probably
1: best if I throw well, it over to you. I haven't seen a comprehensive report, but we can't help but notice the trend. There's been an enormous amount of leaders either removed, who've died suspiciously or even been assassinated, and uh, uh, and... You can just see there's a toppling of people perhaps more was being demanded of them than they were willing to give because this is such a shocking thing even people who might have compromised with the world economic forum great reset up till now uh, you know when you're talking about deliberately starving young people that might be a a bridge too far for quite a few characters and next thing they are being shown the door so or being replaced in more dramatic ways so we can't help but notice this i mean it is a trend and Plainly, what's going on is a desperate attempt by the globalists to initiate a great reset, and that's why we're seeing so much resistance on the ground. And there is a lot of resistance on the ground. Um, you know, Polish uh, farmers are taking the streets of Warsaw, shouting, Enough is enough, we won't let ourselves be robbed. We workers cannot pay for the crisis created by politicians, and um. We read of fishermen blocking ports in Europe and uh, honking their horns uh, to express a discontent over these attempts to destroy uh, their agriculture. German farmers are blockading roads on the borders of the Netherlands and gathering in great numbers to in solidarity with the Dutch farmers. Uh, the uh, huge amounts of protests. There's, there's no doubt that worldwide, from New Zealand to Canada, you can see the people rising up in countries where. You, didn't used to see any protest where the people generally were you know very quiet and it must take a lot to get a new zealander or a canadian to protest and yet even they've had enough back to you andrew
0: you just gave me the thought peter what you just said there why resistance is not futile um, and mm-hmm. that's great examples that you've given there so uh, your closing comments and please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you
1: yes so I, I did a study some years ago on the national suicide of the cause and you can actually find it on the frontline mission website if you find it just bizarre it's sort of like a ripley's believe it or not type of story isn't it But um, on the FrontlineMissionSA.org website, you'll see a lot of audios and videos and articles, including if you search on there for the National Suicide of the Causa. I'll try and uh, put some of these things together also to to tie in what's going on now in the next uh, uh, days if if I get the opportunity to do that. And um, I think it's so important for us to know our history. If we know our history, we can immediately see (laughs) that Satan's got the same game plan. He's used the same tactics before. So, you can contact me, peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, as Americans would pronounce it, or visit our website, frontlinemissionsa.org. And uh, uh, that includes, of course, my book out on Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, also available and uh, even as ebook and print on demand. So, uh, do get in touch with us. Thank you so much for your prayers and your encouragement, Andrew. Always great to be on your show
0: wonderful to have you back peter and um thank you so much for joining us today with your excellent knowledge of what is going on in the world so folks you have been listening to a presentation entitled the real story of agricultural suicide leading to national suicide peter and i'll be back to you next week i'll be back to you all tomorrow and until then folks thank you for listening and bye for now